We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Champagne on Ice podcast presented by the Field of 68 after the biggest week of Illinois' non-conference schedule, two top 20 games. Illinois comes out of the week one and one. We have a lot to get to on this episode here on the Champagne on Ice podcast. But first, uh, I'm Kyle Tosk, joined as always by my co-host, Mike Farmer. Mike, how's it going? I know it's finals week here at Illinois. How you hanging in there? I'm doing well. I got a bit of studying to do after this, but I just watched my Bears get a their back-to-back win for the first time in like two years, so I'm happy. That's this, this only the second time they've beaten a divisional team under Eberflus, right? It's the yeah, Vikings and Lions. He's, he's going to be the weeks. coach next year. Yeah, he's going to be the coach <laughs> next year. It's it's unreal. Well, uh, we got a lot of Illini hoops to get to here today, and uh, Illinois. One and one, as I mentioned this week, they played Florida Atlantic in the Jimmy V Classic on Tuesday night uh, at Madison Square Garden. Won that game 98-89 in a shootout. And two guys in Terrence Shannon Jr. and Marcus Damasco absolutely went off 33 points apiece. And then on Saturday, they went to Knoxville, took on number 17, Tennessee. Were unable to come up with that win. Lost that one, 86-79. We'll, we'll break down each of these games individually at some point here, but I just want to start bigger picture-wise, just kind of in a broader sense here, and ask you, what was your biggest takeaway from this week as a whole for Illinois? I think the biggest thing I learned was that, I mean, I, we did learn it in the Marquette game, and we saw it a bit in the Rutgers game, but it's Illinois can stick with these really talented teams even early in the season. We saw it last year early in the season with that UCLA, UCLA win, the Texas win. But then as the season progressed, Illinois kind of fell off. They couldn't really hang with a lot of the top-tier teams they had to play, which ended up being a big issue. Like the uh, Arkansas game in the NCAA tournament, they pretty much got dominated. I know the final score was close. Uh, Big Ten tournament had no wins last year for Illinois. This year, I know we're one and two, maybe two and two in the somewhat big games we've played so far. But I'm, I'm encouraged by the effort. I'm encouraged by – uh, these guys are fighting for 40 minutes. It's not like they're giving up as they go down in a tough environment in Knoxville. They're sticking with it. They're trusting Brad Underwood. They're trusting their guys. And I'm a big fan of the team so far. Yeah, I agree. I think my biggest takeaway is that this is this is a very good team. Uh, we saw on Tuesday night what their ultimate ceiling can be when they're getting superstar level performances from their top two scoring options and putting up 98 points on a team that was in the final four last week. I mean, it's 
how many teams in the country can go do that, let alone on the stage they did it. That was as good a performance, maybe as complete of an offensive performance as we've seen in a while. And, and I agree. I think we'll get into the Tennessee game here in a little while, but uh, it felt like a game that last year's team probably gets run out of the gym in. It, it just it, it felt like a, a game where Illinois was never really out of it. I mean, they were leading at halftime and a half that I thought they didn't play great and, and they just found a way to stay in it and, and battle. And I know Tennessee went on a run late, but that's a really hard road environment. That's a team that I think matches up with them really well. They took out Illinois' top two stars, Terrence Shannon, Marcus Damasco for 33 apiece on Tuesday night. They combined for seven to 27 against Tennessee and Illinois. You know, I know Tennessee started to pull away late in the second half, but they were still in the game and gave themselves chances to win the game at points. So I think that's still overall encouraging here for this team. You would have liked to get that game yesterday, obviously, but I don't think many people expected it. I know we both predicted losses here last week and uh, Illinois loses by seven in a game that was pretty competitive throughout. I don't think you're uh, too discouraged by that, but we'll get into some of the reasons why they lost that in a little bit. Uh, I do want to start with Florida Atlantic, though. That was the game earlier in the week on Tuesday in terms of zooming in on each of these games individually. And that was quite the fun basketball game to watch. 98 points for this Illinois team. You got two guys that just couldn't be stopped. Marcus Damascos for 33, his career high, 15 of 21 from the floor in that game. He took the game over in the second half, got every matchup he wanted. Terrence Shannon, 33 points. Uh, he was just a force to be reckoned with getting downhill in transition. Florida Atlantic had no answers for either of those two guys. And uh, even though Florida Atlantic, I mean, with, with how well Illinois shot the ball, they shot 63% from the floor, 40% from three, had two guys combined for 66. And that game came down to the final two minutes and Illinois had to hold them off. So I think that says a lot about how good that Florida Atlantic team is. Uh, but Illinois, huge win there. That is going to be a resume win that stands up all season long. It's a Florida Atlantic team that plays in the American Athletic Conference. Now I think they are going to be a top 15-ish team all season long. They they look the part, especially on the offensive end of a true contender. So that one is one you can put on your resume. The first one really this year, I know a road win at Rutgers is like kind of a resume win depending on you know where they finish. But Florida Atlantic is a bona fide quad one resume type win for Illinois. What'd you make of that performance? Because that was real fun to watch and you had two guys that just couldn't be stopped. Yeah, that was probably the most enjoyable game uh, that Illinois has played from a fan's perspective in a couple of years, at least. Like, I know Iowa and Kofi were a dominant duo on a nightly basis, but Terrence Shannon Jr. and Marcus Damask on, what was that, Tuesday night? Simply unreal. I mean, every single shot they took in the second half, uh, pretty much in the second half, but uh, most of the game, just swish, like Damask drives to the paint, backs his guy down, turn around, fade away, swish. Terrence Shannon swishes threes, gets to the hoop at will. Uh, both games, honestly, Tennessee and FAU. T Terrence Shannon Jr.'s uh, fast break game is downhill game. It's been unreal to watch as a fan. But uh, back to the FAU game, just pretty dominant offensive performance. I know you can just look at the box score and see that. But, I mean, every possession, the offense was flowing, especially in the second half. Uh, just looked really beautiful. The defense a bit shaky, but like you've been saying, FAU dominant team. They were in the Final Four last year. They're going to be a pro going to be a problem for everybody they face this year. But just overall, really sound performance, really fun to watch as well. 
Yeah, I mean that was that was just a show put on by two guys there, and that I mean you you're gonna need. I, we we know that Terrence Shannon's really good. We know he's gonna have his games where he pops off like this. Maybe maybe not 33 very often, but he's a guy that's probably gonna average near 20 this year. He's been in, at 20 plus points in all but one game, and that one game he scored 19. So uh, that goes to show you what he's done this year. Um, but Marcus Damas, that was his coming out party. I did not know he had that type of performance in him. I don't know if you did, but I, 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 I've loved what I've seen from him. And I, you know, I thought Illinois was going to get a really consistent role type player, a guy that's going to fill a role really nicely in the starting lineup, is going to make some shots and can create some offense at times. But man, 33 points on 15 to 21 from the floor. I had no idea that he had that in him, let alone against a Florida Atlantic team that's really, really good. And and on that stage, a guy that comes from Southern Illinois, he's never played in a game on Madison Square Garden on ESPN like that. And and what does he do in his first opportunity in a national spotlight? He puts up 33 in, in a win. So that was just unbelievable. I think that was in terms of taking something away from that game, it's that, hey, Marcus Damask has that in him. He has a just unstoppable 30-plus point performance in him. Now, is he going to do that most nights? Absolutely not. I would. He might not score 33 again this year. But Illinois needs a second go-to guy that can create their own shot, that can win one-on-one matchups. They know they got Terrence Shannon, but Terrence Shannon is going to be at the top of Illinois scouting report every single night. And if you can get a second scorer, a second go-to guy that can create offense for himself and for other guys, that's what Damas can be. And, it, you know, obviously he's not going to put up 33, and he didn't on, on Saturday at a poor game against Tennessee. So that shows you, you know, what certain matchups can do. But, boy, I had no clue that he had that type of scoring output in him. And it was just coming from a lot of different ways. Like, it, they'd get him a switch that he liked, and he'd go to work. He'd got downhill, got to the basket, he'd post up smaller guards. And, and like you said, he, he has that little go-to fadeaway move where that shot is it's going to be there all year long for him, hit a couple of threes. Uh, there was one step back three there in the second half where you could tell he was feeling himself. He had just airballed a three the possession before and was like, hey, I don't care, I'm taking a step back three here and splashing it down. So he was just feeling himself in the second half. But boy, that was an unbelievable performance from him. And if he can just be a consistent second scorer next to Terrence Shannon and take pressure off him and a guy that late in games when you're in a, a shootout type game like that can can go get you a bucket and can go. Uh, the, the other thing with him was that it felt like Florida Atlantic refused to go away for most of that game. And every time they started inching back closer, he'd have an answer on the other end. And that was the reason Illinois was able to keep Florida Atlantic at arm's length. Just an unbelievable game from him. Every time he scored, they went down and they scored. But then it, it was just the whole second half, he did the exact same thing. And the cycle just kept repeating. Throwing a couple of Terrence Shannon layups, some free throws from Terrence in there. Which is, overall, he dominated that game. He dominated the second half. One more thing is, he hasn't even really unlocked his three-point shot yet this year. He's yep. played four years, and he's a career, like, around 35 36% shooter. He's shooting 22% this year. And he has a 33-point game in him like that. It's crazy to see. Uh, it just goes to show he hasn't even reached his full potential yet. I know he probably won't score 33 points again this season, but still crazy to see, crazy to think about. Uh, I really liked seeing how Brad Underwood and the rest of the team that was on the floor for most of that second half just kept pushing it to Damask, kept giving it to Terrence as well. Like, if something like that happened last year where one guy's going off, 
like half the possessions in the second half, like say Terrence was going off in the second half last season, still like half the possessions in the half would end in a Jaden Epps or Coleman three. We just kept feeding those two guys and it worked out in the end, which was awesome to see. Uh, I think these guys really believe in each other. They believe in the process. Uh, they're committed to winning now. They're committed to what the future is going to hold in March. Like their end goal is whether it's Big Ten championship, Big Ten tournament wins, uh, March Madness wins, of course, a Final Four. I think they're committed to it, and we're seeing the results early on in December right now. Yeah, I think you saw a lot of the role guys just kind of step aside uh, and, and just kind of get those guys in position to score. And and I think the other thing with this game was that Florida Atlantic just didn't have a matchup for those guys. I mean, they were switching one through four, yeah. and Illinois would just – get Terrence or get Damascus, especially a ball screen, get a 6-2 guard switched onto him, whether that was Elijah Martin or, or Greenlee, their point guard, whoever it was. And it's just like, all right, go go dominate this guy one-on-one. -on -one. So I think it was a pretty favorable matchup for Illinois on that end. And I think in the Big Ten, you're maybe not going to get that as much. But I think a lot of the offense on this team is probably going to come in more one-on-one -on -one situations. And you don't have a true point guard you know, I to have two guys who you know can score one on one like that against matchups. If you get them matchups that they like, that is going to be really important for this offense to to put up ninety eight points like that. I mean, they they didn't really do that. I think they only had like ten assists on thirty some made field goals. I mean, it was just two guys yeah. that were owning the other team. I mean, that was what it was, and they got out in transition. Terrence Shannon had a couple transition and ones, and you know that's always going to be there for him regardless of matchup. Um, but that's really where the, a lot of this team's offense is going to come from. And, uh, and yeah, I thought, you know, everybody else around those two guys were just pretty mistake-free and just, you know, filled in nicely. I thought Justin Harmon came in 10 points off the bench. And, you know, when Florida Atlantic was collapsing in on, on Shannon and, and Damask, they kicked it out to him. He knocked down a couple corner threes that were really huge in the game. Uh, and I think the other important thing when you look at the the result of this game was that we talked about it on last week's podcast what the toughest matchup in the game was going to be vlad golden fau's big man and illinois was able to get him into foul trouble i think you mentioned it on last yep. week's podcast they don't have much depth behind him now of course the two backup bigs that they brought in were banking threes in in the first half so that was pretty annoying to watch but illinois got him in foul trouble he played only 18 minutes and he had 23 points in the 18 minutes so illinois could not match up with him he was a matchup nightmare for them he was pretty much the reason fau was in the game they were like plus 12 with him on the court and minus nine with him off or something like that that math doesn't really add up to a nine point deficit but something around that it was a big uh, big discrepancy point being yeah. but illinois attacked the basket they played to their strengths they put pressure on the rim golden picked up some cheap fouls and that was really the key to illinois winning this game because if golden plays 30 minutes instead of 18 probably gets dicey that's how effective he was and that's how much he was hurting illinois inside but uh that was a big key to this one as well and that was a direct result uh, of the way illinois was attacking them and the way that shannon and damask were just dominating the paint Golden had a career night, and he missed a couple like yeah, really easy layups, really easy hook shots. He could have had thirty in eighteen trouble. minutes. He, he could have easily had thirty-five points, like Damask and Shannon. But uh, him picking up those ticky tack fouls was actually a huge key to the game. That like underrated people kind of forgot forgot about after the game, because if he's in that game for longer, I'd, I'm not sure Damask is going to be uh, getting into that paint in the second half as easily as he was. 
I'm not sure Terrence Shannon's getting downhill as easily as he was in the second half. Uh, so that was an underrated key. I'm glad we talked about that last week because it came to fruition. Uh, one more thing I wanted to hit on for the FAU game and for the Tennessee game as well, the free throws. Illinois looks like an actually decent free throw shooting team this year in these last two games, which has been huge. Uh, it helped us get back into the, into the Tennessee game in that last four minutes. That uh, last four minutes of the game lasted like 30 real-time minutes. But then in the FAU game as well, FAU is trying to get back in the game, like the opposite of the Illinois-Tennessee game. And Illinois was able to hold them off with some late-game free throws. So that's a huge underrated aspect of this team. That's going to be really crucial in the Big Ten slate and as we progress this year. Yeah, I mean, I, that was a great point because Illinois came into these two games, I think, shooting 57%. And then yeah. FAU, they shoot 18 to 20 I don't have the Tennessee numbers in front of me, but they hit some big ones down the stretch there to close FAU out. You think back to Coleman Hawkins hitting two on an offensive rebound when FAU was within two. I think Quincy Garrier got fouled and hit a couple big ones with about three minutes left. And then Terrence Shannon hit like eight in the last minute to close him out. It's felt like they fouled him about five different times down the stretch. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's going to be important. I mean, you can't really survive shooting 57% from the line. I mean, that's going to come to bite you in late-game situations. Guys are going to foul certain guys that they know can't make them. Like even, you know, we'll get to the Tennessee game in a minute, but Ty Rogers' free throw looked pretty good against Tennessee. I mean, hey, did, yeah. maybe, maybe you're not going to be able to hack him as much. So, um, yeah, that's a good point as well. But uh, just to kind of put a bow on FAU, and we'll we'll go to Tennessee, and then maybe talk a, a few more big picture takeaways. But uh, yeah, this is this is the ceiling of this team. Is is you got two guys who are star caliber players who can give you a big scoring night, uh, and you can just. I, mean, I think that the other thing that I wanted to mention from this game is that I think we questioned whether this team could win a shootout type game, a game that was going to approach the nineties. So we talk all about how good this team could be defensively. And, you know, like last year, was it, it was this team going to win a game that was going to be 98-89? I highly doubt it. I, that, there were so many issues on the offensive end. And coming into this year, you know, coming off Marquette, you just weren't sure. There were still a lot of question marks. There's still the point guard questions swirling. And if you told me heading into this game, hey, FAU is going to put up 89 points, I would have said, well, Illinois probably won't win the game because I just don't know if they can keep up with that type of scoring output. And the fact that they did and throughout the entire second half, it felt like they had answer after answer after answer on offense and can get anything they wanted on the offensive end. I think the matchup had a lot to do with that here, but at the same time, it, it shows you it this team can keep up on the offensive end, which is something that the last year and a half has been a question mark for this group. And it, it shows you that, hey, maybe this team can win different ways. I think we're pretty confident that this team, if they need to get into an ugly rock fight type of game on the defensive end, I think they should be able to play in those games. I know that it wasn't their best defensive week and we can talk about that in a little bit, but I still trust this team on that end of the floor. But they're capable of dropping 98 on a team that was in the final four. That gives me a lot of confidence that they can beat you a lot of different ways, which I just wasn't sure that they could. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, exactly. Um, we want to move on to Tennessee now or what? Yeah, we can. We can. So... Uh... The Tennessee game was not at all what I, what I was expecting in terms of final score, in terms of style of play. There were some stretches in the first half, I know, that were a defensive rock fight. Tennessee, I think they missed like 10 shots in a row or something crazy like that. Uh, overall, Illinois just could not hit a three this game. Nine for 36 to finish, 25%. You're just not going to win games that way. But overall, a uh, much higher scoring game than I was expecting. Then I think uh, not a lot of people were expecting something like that. Tennessee's offense was it started with Dalton Connect. He looked pretty healthy. He was uh, he was cooking us for a lot of the night or a lot of the afternoon. Tennessee was getting a lot of contributions from other guys like Ziegler, Vescovy, uh, Jordan James, and Illinois. They had Quincy Garrier drop uh, twenty. They had Terrence Shannon Jr. drop twenty, which was pretty much a product of free throws towards the end of the game. But because Terrence Shannon Jr. just wasn't great for most of the game offensively. But really an interesting game from Illinois' perspective because they dropped 98 on FAU, and then a couple days later they end up shooting 36 threes. They totally get away from what they were doing versus FAU, which I know it's a product, it's a result of Tennessee's uh, defense being dominant. But uh, really interesting because we saw, like, all of last year, Illinois kind of gets flustered at points. If shots aren't falling, then they end up just putting up more threes. They end up chucking late in the shot clock or early in the shot clock, and they're just getting away from whatever off- offensive rhythm that the fans want to see, obviously. But uh, interesting game. I just I don't think you're winning games shooting 36 threes, even if you're not, sh- even if you're not shooting 25% from three. But I know Tennessee's defense is possibly the best defense we'll see all season, unless you consider Purdue's defense in that top tier with Tennessee. Uh, but regardless, I'm still encouraged. We still fought towards the end. We kept the game close, didn't let it uh, turn into a blowout, which it very well could have if we we're if Tennessee was playing our team last year or if Tennessee was playing a lot of these uh, mid-tier Big Ten teams. One more thing I want to hit on is the Big Ten as a whole has been really down this year in the non-conference at least. And even if you're not totally encouraged by the non-conference results from Illinois this season, which I don't know why you would be, but I've still seen some people that aren't totally sold on this team yet. The Big Ten just it hasn't looked great this year. I think Illinois is in prime position at one and zero already. 
I think they're in good position for a double bye at least. I think they could contend with Purdue in that top tier, maybe top two in the Big Ten. Michigan State has looked terrible. Uh, Wisconsin has a couple. They got a big win over Marquette, but they just got blown out by Arizona pretty much. Ohio State just had a terrible loss to Penn State. And these other teams like Michigan, Iowa, Rutgers, Indiana, these teams just do not look great. They have the talent for sure, but whether it's coaching, whether it's roster fit, they just haven't looked great. And I think Illinois, with this early non-conference win over FAU, with some good fights against Marquette and uh, Tennessee, I think they look good in terms of Big Ten, in terms of where they'll fit in the standings uh, come March. Yeah, we we had our Big Ten preview segment here on this podcast. I think it was on our second episode. And uh, I think I, I said I'm pretty confident that the Big Ten is going to be a better league than last year. I would like to retract that statement. The Big Ten <laughs> is terrible. The Big Ten is It looks poor. awful. Yeah, I think it might actually be worse than last year. There was at least some, like, through, like, the 10 – 10th best team in the conference, there was quality in teams that were fighting for an NCAA tournament bid. I see three to four teams that I think are good at basketball in this conference. I, I, I agree with what you said. Like, if you're if you're not totally sold on this team, I don't know if I totally blame you because, listen, I think the two best teams they played, they've lost to. Um, but so I, I don't, you know, I, I think... I don't think anyone would argue that this is going to be a bad team, um, but I, I can understand if there's still some skepticism. But if you're looking strictly Big Ten, I think this team is probably the second best team in the conference pretty easily. Maybe you could argue Wisconsin. Um, you know, I'm not going to fault them for losing to a dominant Arizona team on the road. They beat Marquette at home, which is something Illinois couldn't do. They also did lose to a Providence team that isn't great. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen on them. Um, but yeah, other than Purdue, like, if you look through what teams have done and how teams have looked in the non-conference in the Big Ten, Illinois, I think, has pretty clearly looked the second best of any team in the conference other than Purdue so far. So, boy, the Big Ten is bad. But anyway, going back to the Tennessee, I agree with what you said there. I just 36 threes is not something that this team should be shooting. I mean, it, it, we're past that point, especially when you come off of two games against Rutgers and Florida Atlantic, your two best offensive performances of the year where you had such an emphasis on attacking the basket and putting the ball in the hands of your physical downhill drivers and Shannon and Damask and uh, Rogers and all those guys. And, and yeah, you're going to take some threes, but you're going to create open looks and off of the, off of getting to the basket. And, and I thought Illinois just, you know, I, I think I agree with you. I think the biggest thing was that Tennessee is really good defensively. There's a reason that they, our top five in the country in defensive efficiency right now. And they pride themselves on being able to clog up gaps and forcing you to be a very perimeter oriented offense, which is something that they did effectively. Terrence Shannon couldn't get to his left hand against Tennessee. And Marcus Damask was, there were matchups for him. There were longer, more physical defenders where he can't post guys up and he can't get those matchups that he wants. So a lot of that was Tennessee's doing, but also I thought Illinois just kind of abandoned what had been working for them. And they can't do that. Even against a matchup where you're having struggles, the answer isn't let's settle here and, and, and let's, you know, Coleman Hawkins step back three late in the shot clock and, and, and Terrence Shannon's going to settle for deep threes here. And, and, and the flow of the offense is completely taken away. I know Tennessee is capable of doing that to teams, but man, like Illinois, it felt like, especially during a stretch of the second half, which is the defining stretch of the game where Tennessee won the game. I think they went on a 
14 to two run in the second half and Illinois shot nine straight threes um, or I think it was maybe eight of nine shots came from three and they went over eight and over eight from three eight of their nine shots and during that stretch came from three makes a couple turnovers in there Tennessee goes on a 14 to two run that can't happen it down the stretch of a game it really just it was frustrating to see because I thought we saw this team is capable of being a high level offensive team when they're playing to their strengths against Rutgers against FAU we saw that I know the matchup was a lot tougher than those two games but felt like they abandoned trying to even attack the basket at all at times in the second half and the difference in the halves Illinois led at halftime by two and the reason for that was because they made shots in the first half and they missed them in the second half and I think this team's maybe not a 25% three-point shooting team, but they're probably a 30 to 32% three-point shooting team. I and mean, that's what they've been the last two years when they're forcing and when they're settling for shots. I mean, that's what we saw all of last season. I think they shot 31% on the year and the quality of looks wasn't good and the shot selection wasn't good. Now you look at their two wins, Rutgers, nine to 21 from three, 43%. Florida Atlantic, 8 of 20 from 3, 40%. So they can be a good shooting team, but the the common theme in those two games was they were creating open looks off of drives. And in this game, I thought they did that at times and missed some shots that they probably can make, but they also settled far too much and then shots stopped falling. In the second half, Tennessee makes a run, and that's the difference in a road game. And and that's really what it comes down to. So I was disappointed in that. the fact that they were in the game and they didn't let it get out of hand despite that, I think is commendable and I think is encouraging. But man, it was, it just felt like they reverted to some of those bad tendencies that they've had at times. And even you look at kind of the offensive profile of the Marquette game and the Tennessee game, Illinois' two losses, and they look similar. A lot of threes. Those two teams cutting off driving lanes, you're kind of abandoning that part of your game. And, and, all it does is allow the other team to make that second half run. When, when shots stop falling for a stretch, all of a sudden your opponent's getting easy, easy possessions, you're forcing shots, and that's all that makes a difference in a game between two top 20 teams sometimes. So I agree with that. I, it was frustrating. 36 three-point attempts should not be something that this team ever does, in my opinion, regardless of matchup. And I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that we won't be shooting 36 threes uh, in too many more games this season, maybe like at Purdue or something against another top tier defense. But uh, I think we'll stay away from it. I think Terrence Shannon, I know he was he was struggling early in the game and I, he wasn't really able to get to his left hand. He couldn't finish too many shots. He hit some free throws and everything. But uh, I think him not being on and as well as Damask not being on after the two thirty three point games kind of led to a second half of a three-point barrage where just none of them went in. But I'm pretty hopeful that that's not going to happen in the Big Ten because I think he'll get going early in games. I think even if we are shooting threes, I think we'll be making more because the reason I hope I went on that entire Big Ten tangent was because there's not that many talented defenses in the Big Ten compared to a team like Tennessee. And I don't think Illinois, Illinois will have to fall back on the 35 threes per game uh, method that they used last year. Because I think we're more talented this year. We're more experienced. I think Brad and the guys that returned from that last season, they know that that's not a viable uh, method of winning games, especially in the Big Ten. So I think they'll put an emphasis on getting to the hoop, getting in transition, scoring in the paint like Damascus versus FAU. And if they don't do that, then I think 
unfortunately, we will have some issues that we saw last year. I don't think this team will reach its full potential if we continue to really rely on the 35 threes a game method because we saw an entire season of that last year for the most part. And even with a slightly more talented team this year, the three-point percentage still isn't really uh, increased compared to last year. So I'm I'm hopeful that Brad and the rest of the guys are confident in themselves that they can win games by getting to the hoop, by uh, scoring in the mid-range, by shooting threes, but shooting open threes off of drive and kick, like you're saying. Uh, and I think some of these upcoming games like Colgate, Mizzou, uh, they're good times for the team to get back to what they were doing versus FAU and versus Rutgers. Because if they're not, then we're uh, possibly in for another difficult season on the offensive end. Uh, like you were saying earlier with the assist totals, I think Tennessee and FAU both doubled up our assists, which is probably going to be a common theme this year. Illinois is around a 10 assists per game team in these last couple games which is a product of, you know, not having a true point guard, not having really a offense that you can go to like every single possession, like some teams have like Tennessee and FAU. Illinois does kind of rely on that one-on-one -on -one game, but I do prefer that if it's inside the paint, inside the arc compared to 30 feet from the hoop, five seconds left on the shot clock, somebody doing a step back one-on-one -on -one three pointer that clangs off the rim. But uh, Tennessee was a top tier defense. FAU was still a pretty good defense, but we saw Illinois take advantage of the matchups. But I, I really think the Illinois offense struggled because Tennessee was so good, because they're so physical. Uh, I don't want to blame the refs or anything, but part of that stretch in the second half where Tennessee took over, there were some questionable calls, but I don't think blaming the refs is the reason why we lost that game. I think, like we've been saying, it's the continual lack of efficiency on the offensive end because of the uh, excessive three-point attempts. Yeah, I mean, it, there was a charge call in the second half, and there was a hook-and-hold call on Ty Rogers, which were ridiculous calls, no question about it. Um, yeah. But I, the, that's the furthest thing that I'm worried about from this game. It, you, you know, you're going you're gonna to have some of that on the road. I mean, that's just college basketball, right? There's going to be some calls that go against you on the road. you got to expect that coming in. I thought Illinois actually got a couple in the first half, so I didn't think it was all that terrible as, as some Illini fans are making it out to be. But really – you know, I think Tennessee just outplayed you in this game. And, and I think you even saw that even in the first half when, you know, I, I felt watching it, Illinois went into the locker room up two. I felt very fortunate that that was the case. I didn't yeah. think that Illinois that outplayed lucky. them in the first half. I thought they made some timely shots. Give credit to Quincy Garrier, who made three threes in the first half, and Coleman Hawkins, who made a couple of shots. That was really the only reason you're in the game. I didn't think they were great defensively in the first half, and it felt like Tennessee was kind of dictating the game at that point. And, uh, you know, you saw it in the second half. It kind of had that feeling. Coming out of the locker room, I thought Illinois was fortunate to be leading. I didn't really love the way their offense looked and just kind of the, the, the looks they were getting. And so I, I kind of felt it coming, that if this continues, if the game continues to go this way, Tennessee's going to make a run at some point. And, and I didn't think really Illinois adjusted much there in the second half, but you know, I, I, I you still put up 79 points. I think that's a little misleading because you did get a lot there late in the last two, three minutes when you were kind of trying to make a furious rally and Terrence Shannon was at the foul line a lot, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I, I agree with you. I don't think 33, three point, 36, three point attempts rather is going to be the norm. I think a lot of that was Tennessee's doing and Tennessee just taking you out of a rhythm and 
matching up with the two guys who just put up 33 points, mainly on making individual plays with the ball. And Tennessee wasn't going to let that happen because they had matchups for those guys. They had bigger wings that could match up with Taron Shannon. They were icing a lot of the ball screens, trying to get him to go right. And, you know, Taron Shannon prefers going left and he, you know, was pretty passive. And, uh, and Marcus Damask just couldn't get going at all in the game. And it, that's a product of, you know, he didn't get those opportunities against smaller guys where he could use his size and, and his physical ability to, to score. And, uh, and yeah, and then, you know, when you, when you look at that and when you see your two star players going seven for 27 from the floor, you're probably not going to win very often. And, uh, and I didn't think enough guys really stepped up alongside. I think there was some inconsistency. Like Quincy Guerrier absolutely stepped up, 22 points, great performance. But some of the other guys, I didn't think there were enough guys that stepped up and said, all right, I can do it here tonight uh, or in the afternoon with, that, with, with our two stars struggling. And um, I think that's going to be something that Illinois has to tr- overcome is – when Terrence Shannon has an off night because he's not going to have a 30-point night every night and he's going to be at the top of team scouting reports and and whatnot, who can step up? And, and can Coleman Hawkins give you more? I mean, he made four shots, made three threes in the game, but four for 13 and you know took some ill-advised ones in the second half. Can he finally get going on the offensive end? It feels like he hasn't had that game yet where, hey, Coleman Hawkins was one of your best offensive players in this game. I'm not – not saying at all that he hasn't been a valuable part to what Illinois has done, and we can have that discussion in a minute if we want to, but he hasn't had that that performance yet. And I know he's been hurt, but hasn't had that offensive performance that shows you, hey, this is an NBA draft pick, and this is a guy that can step up. And uh, and Gary A did do it, but, you know, Ty Rogers takes zero shots on a night where Shannon and Damask Go seven for 27. I don't think that's going to cut it. And uh, and your bench really gave you nothing in this game. Goody made a couple shots. He made two threes. But, um, yeah, just uh, it was it was a tough one. I don't I'm not drawing too big a conclusions from this one, but I do hope to see that Illinois learns from this game and, and realizes that, hey, we can't fall back into those bad tendencies. There's been a common theme to our two losses against two really good teams this year. And there's been a common theme on the offensive end to our two wins. And we have to play to our strengths consistently uh, as a team that, uh, that isn't going to have a true point guard and is going to have guys that are going to be playing in a lot of isolation situations and, and trying to score in one-on-one opportunities. We got to attack the basket and try to create offense out of that. Cause that's going to be this team's best offense this year. Yeah, Coleman especially just hasn't been great on offense this year. And you mentioned this yesterday, I think, to me and some other people. He's just – his career three-point percentage, it's not going up. I think we've – no matter how much Brad says it in the offseason, Coleman just hasn't shown that he's a steady, consistent, solid three-point shooter. So I, I, he still hasn't proven he's like a back-to-the-basket guy. He's not really a low-post guy. I don't think he ever will be. And because he's not making threes this year, we're seeing a dip in his scoring average. We're seeing just a lack of offensive efficiency when he's in there. Still a great defender. He's still rebounding a little bit. He did look a little soft uh, on the defensive end versus Tennessee, though. He had a couple plays where he could have been, like, help side, uh, helping out the guy that was defending the drive, and he just didn't do it. Maybe he was in foul trouble at the time, but still he looked slightly off on the defensive end. I think Quincy Garrier had a great game, though. He kind of he stepped up for sure in the Tennessee game. I think Justin Harmon had a really solid two games off the bench. He's he continues to provide a little bit of a spark on the defensive end, 
But then on offense, he had some putback. Like, he had some great offensive rebound and putback layups and I think, both games. Hit some threes versus Tennessee. Uh, Luke Goody continues to be solid off the bench. He surprisingly airballed two threes versus Tennessee, which was crazy to me. But then he still came back. I think after both of those, he still made two threes. Um, you're not really getting anything from the freshman. You're not getting too much from Ty Rogers on the offensive end. Damask and Terrence obviously struggled versus Tennessee. But I think Damask has solidified himself, obviously, based off the FAU game as the second option on this offense. He's going to be putting up double-digit double digit shots per game. Uh, Quincy Garrier has developed on the offensive end. He's finally starting to hit a couple threes per game. Dane Dane just still just not a factor on this team, which is crazy to me. I know uh, I know you've got some thoughts on Dane, but he had a really short leash, short leash versus Tennessee. Had the illegal screen, which some people were blaming him for. Some people said it wasn't his fault. Regardless, he's not doing much on defense. He's uh, really a liability on defense. He's a liability when he dribbles the ball on offense, like we saw versus FAU. I know uh, the, <laughs> he should not touch the, the ball outside of the low post. <laughs> Do not give him a touch unless he has deep post position. Otherwise, it's going to be a disaster. If he has to dribble more than once, uh, it's uh, boy, it's uh, it's not pretty. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, the only time he's good is when he's back to the basket and he does that little spin move two two inches from the hoop and he dunks it. But if you can do that against some uh, some smaller big men in the Big Ten, so be it. I think there will still be some games where he dominates this year. I mean, maybe not dominates, but puts up 10 and 8, something like that. But overall, I'm encouraged. Uh, I know the defense struggled a bit this week. It's two really good teams. Tennessee has been improved on offense. I'm not too worried about that. But uh, I'm encouraged overall by the team. I liked what I saw. I liked the fight at the end of the Tennessee game. I know we extended the game a little bit, bumped up our stats, but still good to see. Our, the, our, our defensive press was actually pretty encouraging. I don't know if we'll implement that a little bit more. I know last week on the pod we were talking about teams pressing us potentially. We saw a little bit with uh, Zakai Ziegler uh, pressuring our ball handler, which caused some turnovers for Tennessee. But uh, I don't know, possibly a little three-quarter court pressure for Illinois, for Illinois in these upcoming games, something to look at potentially. Yeah, I mean, when, when they were in desperation mode uh, at the end of the Tennessee game, they forced a couple turnovers or near turnovers. I thought there was one where – Ziegler fell over and traveled and they gave him a foul call and then they got another turnover yeah. before that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and you think about it and Illinois should be able to cause some havoc if they do want to pull out a press because they've got so much length on the court and guys who can deflect the ball and especially against a five, nine guard and Ziegler, if you force him to catch it in the corner and you trap with two, six, six long guys like, yeah, that's a, that's trouble. So it's something that Illinois will have in their back pocket. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I do want to hit on two things specifically before we end this, and you mentioned both of them within your uh, answer there. Um, I'll, we'll get to the defense in a minute, but I want to focus on Coleman Hawkins for another minute here because it, it's been a very interesting season for him so far. I think you read what Illinois fans are saying, and you have some people who 
really like what he brings and you have a very large portion of people who feel like he should be benched and is a liability on the court and they hate watching him play really polarizing player so far this year it's safe to say i maintain that he is really important to what illinois does and the difference is noticeable when Dane Danger is on the court or when Amani Hansberry is on the court versus when Coleman Hawkins is on the court. There is a massive difference, and I will maintain that. And I think Coleman has done a lot of really good things for this Illinois team. But there is, I mean, there's just always going to be that seemingly with him where he's going to make some boneheaded plays. He's going to take some shots that you just don't, you scratch your head about and you you mentioned the three-point discussion which I, I i did say it it's like we're in year four now of coleman's career his career high in three-point shooting percentage is 29 percent, and he's shooting 20 percent from three so far this year like in our mind this is a guy that is should be such a weapon because he's a stretch big and if you play him at the five spot he can force guys away from the basket and he can open up your offense I think that's still really important to what Illinois is going to want to do this year. So for the people that are saying, why does Coleman Hawkins ever shoot? He's terrible at shooting. Well, that you're just not getting what Illinois offense is based on and why Illinois starts him at the five. I think you need him to be a pick and pop threat. It's the, all right, I'm going to step back and take this really tough shot. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to attempt 10 threes against Tennessee when half of the 10 are not in rhythm and they're forced and they're late clock and they're me trying to make a one-on-one play as opposed to in rhythm open shots because Terrence Shannon is drawing two defenders off a ball screen. And now I want to pop out and make them respect my three-point shot. Like we saw that biggest shot in the FAU game. Marcus Damask has 33 points. Coleman sets him a ball screen on the right wing. Damask drives. Both guys move with Damask. Coleman Hawkins pops out wide open three, hits it. Illinois goes up five in that game. That's Coleman Hawkins at his best. But man, it's just, can he be that on a consistent basis? Can he do that exact thing and stick to that exact thing on a consistent basis? And and you mentioned in there as well, uh, how you know he felt like he was getting out physical a little bit against Tennessee on the defensive end. The other thing too is like he hasn't rebounded very well this year. I haven't thought he's averaging five and a half rebounds a game as your starting five. I don't know. It, all that to say, I think Coleman's really important. I think the vision of what he provides is one that is still going to have to play out. But he hasn't played great this year, and, and that doesn't mean that he hasn't been important, but. Man, if he could just find a way to just rein himself in at times and play to his, we talk about this team playing to their strengths. If Coleman Hawkins could play to his strengths on a on a gamely basis, man, would that be huge? What do you make of Coleman so far? What it is? It just seems like the most divisive topic among the Illinois basketball fan base. I'm still a fan of him as a whole. I think he's a great dude. He's a good part of the team. I think this past week, though, especially defensively, which is his, like, it's why he's on the court mainly, because his offense has struggled this year. I know Vlad Golden's a really difficult matchup. I know Adu is a solid guy on Tennessee that presents some problems for Coleman. But uh, I don't know if the defensive effort was totally there. I know I mentioned he was in foul trouble. Maybe Brad's telling him to, like, lay off on the fouls and be less physical. Don't pick up that third foul, which could cost Illinois the game potentially. But, uh, uh, just a little bit of lack of rebounding, lack of like help side defense, 
lack of physicality, which kind of shocked me this week. Overall, I think if you're in the anti-Coleman Hawkins uh, group, if you want him to be benched, like <laughs> where is his 30 minutes per game going? Because exactly. uh, respectfully, I know I just said Dane Danger. I still believe Dane will have some games where he has the 10 and 6, whatever it is. He is solid on the offensive end. But if you're benching Coleman Hawkins and limiting him to like 15 minutes a game, I don't know what these people think. I, I No offense, but I don't think Imani Hansberry is picking up the slack for the Illinois defense at the five. I don't think he's going to be contribute, contributing on offense. I don't think Quincy Garrier is going to be guarding fives this season. Uh, Dane Danger on defense is still struggling. I saw a stat today. I don't know exactly what it was. I kind of glanced past it, but it was like plus, like total plus minus or something for the season. And Dane and Hansberry were dead last on the team by like by a mile. So if you're, I just, I think reconsider if you're in the anti Coleman Hawkins group. I know you can be frustrated by his turnovers, by his lack of like efficient three point shooting, by his, some of his boneheaded plays. Uh, I know some people are pissed off that he's still like crying to the refs. He's, like walking past Brad when he's pissed off, stuff like that. I don't, that bothers me too, but uh, still a huge part of the team. I, if you want to bench him, I think you're overlooking how important he is uh, to the defense, especially even if you don't see it every day. But uh, I, I'm not in the uh, I'm not in the bench Coleman Hawkins group just yet. I think even if like uh, even if this injury that he has is still lingering, like there's a chance it is like still playing a huge For part sure. of like being a huge part of why he's struggling. I mean, throw all this talk out the window. If the injury like goes away and he's back to a hundred percent healthy, he could still be a huge part of this team. Yeah. And I agree with that. I benching him is not on the table. Brad Underwood will never bench him. I, I, I will guarantee you right now he will start for Illinois all season long and he rightfully should. In my opinion, my point was there's a group, you know, there's, it seems like, half the fan base thinks that he's terrible and half thinks he's great. And there's just that 50, 50 nature to the argument going on. And then there's, you know, I'm seeing people on Twitter. Well, why doesn't Dane danger start? Well, have you watched Dane danger play this year? Like, <laughs> I, is that going to yeah. improve <laughs> Illinois team, especially on the defensive end? No, it isn't. And Dane Danger's clogging up the paint and, and bringing a help defender in the lane for when Terrence Shannon tries to get downhill Coleman Hawkins. I know the three point shooting is, inconsistent but you see teams still respect the three-point shot like teams are out there guarding it vlad golden is out there guarding coleman hoggins the three-point line and that's why damask is able to get in the paint and i mean it, it they space coleman out into the corner and and pull the big out in the corner he's completely out of help position and and now all of a sudden you can drive to the basket so even if he isn't efficient even if he's not playing well i think his presence on the court opens up a lot of things but man would i love to see him actually play some efficient basketball in the offensive end feel like he's been good defensively but we've seen him be better i, I agree with that i think you know there's matchups like you know when when zach Eady and purdue come to town you can't expect coleman hawkins to guard him one-on-one -on -one, right and when vlad golden is is matched up in single coverage with coleman hawkins and down low like if vlad golden scores it's not coleman's fault it's a bit tough matchup for a guy that's an undersized five and a little bit skinnier than most bigs right so um but i do think i agree like there's been some lapses in terms of help defense with him and rebounding i feel like he's gotten beat on on some rebounds that we haven't seen in the past and then obviously offensively shooting 32 percent and 20 percent from three the knee might be playing a, a part in that but i mean that's 
it's a matter of time before he has one of those games where he makes six threes. I feel like that's coming at some point, but uh, the consistency on the offensive end and just being able to take the shots that the defense has given you, but not forcing shots. And even you look at that Tennessee game, there were times where Sakai Ziegler gets switched onto him and he refuses to go down there. I was just going to mention that and back him down. I mean, I get it. Coleman Hawkins, his strength isn't back to the basket, posting guys up, but you're six ten. Zakai Ziegler's 5'9", get down there and post him up. And I guarantee yeah. we even saw it once. Uh, Quincy Garrier's guy came down and digged on, on Coleman Hawkins because he went down in the post. Quincy Garrier wide open for three, buries it. And then the next time down, he had that matchup again, and he kind of acted like he was going to go post him up, and then he threw a pass over his head that got turned over across the court. So, I mean, it's just the awareness on that type of stuff and just – being able to take advantage of those matchups because you're going to get them, especially when teams switch like Tennessee did. And, and teams will do that a lot against Illinois um, in order to try to take away drives for their, for their top two guys. So Coleman still think he's really important. Still think he absolutely needs to be a 30 plus minute a game starter at the five spot for Illinois, but he's got to be better. I think there's still another, another level, even against FAU. They were so great on offense and F- against FAU, and he wasn't very good. Now, he made a couple of big plays late in the game that helped them win. There's no question. But he wasn't very good. Illinois still put up 98. If, they, you know, if their top two guys come down to earth a little bit, which they're going to, if he elevates himself, then you're not going to see a drop-off, and Illinois can reach a new level. Last thing I want to touch on before we get out of here, and, and you brought it up a couple times, Defensively, We had the whole defensive discussion on last week's podcast. Illinois was top 10 in the country in defensive efficiency. I think they still are, or they're close, um, even after this week. Yeah, they're week. close still. But uh, give up 89 to FAU, give up 86 to Tennessee. You know, point totals without context don't necessarily give you an indication of how a team played defensively. But I think it's safe to say Illinois – you know, got challenged on that end of the floor and they weren't their best on the defensive end. And FAU was able to score on them. Tennessee, I thought there were some true lapses in that game and Tennessee on some of their actions to get connect and Viscovi shots and, and, and penetrate inside. I thought Illinois just wasn't very good for a stretch of the second half, especially and early in the game on defense. Level of concern, Illinois, did we overrate them on the defensive end? Coming off these two games, are you concerned that, hey, maybe this isn't an elite defensive team? It's going to be a team that can get exposed? Or is this just a matter of two top 20 teams, both away from home? You're not worried about it. Where, where do you fall? Um, in terms of level of concern, like two or three, I mean, you look back at last year, uh, FAU, Final Four, they have elite offensive games versus like, Memphis, uh, Tennessee, San Diego State. It doesn't matter who they're playing. They're putting up buckets on them. John L. Davis, Elijah Martin, Vlad Golden, all been really good this year. Like five of their guys are averaging, I think, double-digit figures in terms of points per game. We give up 80-something to them. I'm not too worried about that. That game was extended also, like same as the Tennessee game. I think some of the offensive stats are a bit inflated, like especially in the Tennessee game. Illinois – I mean, the last three minutes of that game were probably 30 minutes. Like, the amount of fouls, free throws, uh, turnovers, stuff like that, I think that inflates the final box score numbers by a pretty big degree. But the, I think it's still top 15, top 20 defense. I think the top 10 defense uh, narrative 
we were pushing it a little bit. I think that's in question a little bit right now. But even Tennessee, like, defense is their calling card, but offense, they're still top 25 in the nation, I want to say. Like, Dalton connects a bucket getter. I mean, I thought we'd slow him down a little bit, but he still got his 20. Uh, they're kind of similar to FAU. Like, I know Dalton Connect is the star, but they have a lot of guys right in that 8 to 10 point per game range. Like, Jordan James, Vescovy got going a little bit. Ziegler's really solid. Uh, some other big men off the bench are solid, too. I'm not really concerned. I think those are two really talented physical offenses that can do a lot on the offensive side of the ball. I, I don't think we'll be seeing too much of that in the Big Ten play because, like we've been saying, the Big Ten, it's clearly down this year, even if, like, even if it's a, if it's a com- competitive Big Ten race, like two through ten, like it was last year, these teams are still lower quality than Tennessee, FAU, Marquette. I'm really I'm not too concerned about the defensive end as a whole. Yeah, I mean these are probably two of the better defenses you'll see all season. I mean Purdue is or better offenses, not defenses. Two better offenses yeah. you'll see all season. Purdue's going to be a tough one. I know, like michigan and iowa are great offensively they're atrocious defensively so i mean the point being that i think illinois i agree i think a lot of it was two really good offenses that executed at a high level and 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 like in the florida atlantic game especially i thought illinois was actually pretty good defensively for stretches like you take elijah martin out of the game i thought terrence shannon kind of took him out of the game he's a guy that was one of the most valuable players on their final four run last year and uh and fau in the late part of the first half they've got two backup bigs who come in and, and make three threes and they shot a combined like 15 percent from three coming into the game and, and and yeah fau made some shots in the second half but i think a lot of them were were tougher shots and just shots that you know they were able to make at timely times in the game and then vlad golden was a matchup problem for illinois there's i mean elite big men are going to be a matchup problem for this illinois team that's just what it's going to be with their personnel um and we weren't necessarily surprised to see that tennessee there was a stretch late in the first half where illinois was playing really well on that end of the floor and that's kind of what allowed them to take a lead into the locker room i think tennessee had six points in the final 10 minutes of the first half but then Tennessee just kind of goes on those scoring runs and and they're at home and and, and yeah, Dalton Connect, I think, was an issue for Illinois. And, and Tennessee was really creative in the way that they designed some actions. They ran that little curl to him like five straight times early in the game. And he got a couple mid-range shots off of that, even though Terrence Shannon was was following him pretty closely off those screens. And at the end of the day, sometimes good offense beats good defense, in my opinion. And uh, and, and that's what I saw a lot this week. But uh, that's not to say that Illinois doesn't have a lot to correct coming out of these two games. I think to allow two opponents to get into the 80s is something that I ne- didn't necessarily expect would happen coming into this week. But um, I agree. I think this is still a team that, especially in a Big Ten, that you look down the list, not a lot of these teams scary on the offensive end. I think Illinois should be one of the best defensive teams in this conference. And uh, and this week doesn't really change that for me. I think it was more of a you ran into two really good opponents. Um, and that's kind of just the the overall takeaway for me is you played two really good teams, you come out one and one. I'm not going to complain about that. I think if you ask almost any Illinois fan except the most optimistic ones ever that think Illinois is the best team in the country, if you told them we'd go Are one and sure? one, if you told them we'd go one and one heading into this week, I think almost everyone takes that in a heartbeat. One and one against these two opponents. You don't complain about that. Um, and now Illinois gets a week off. They don't play until Sunday against Colgate. 
an entire week off and they play Colgate and then they got the Bragg and Rights game uh, towards the end of next week, which is one that we'll talk about on next week's episode. Um, so we will get out of here uh, with that said. Any any last thoughts coming off these two games for you? I think just overall, if you look big bigger picture, we talked, at least we talked about the three main non-con games, Marquette, FAU, Tennessee. I know I said you go one and two. I'm happy with that. You pull out two wins. Amazing. You pull out three wins. We're going to the final four. But we get one win. We stay competitive in the other two. I think overall, you can't be too upset with that. And on top of that, you pretty much dominate Rutgers on the road to start off Big Ten play. Looking forward, we got bragging rights and then Big Ten. Just, I mean, I think we're looking good. How about you? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I said it on our very first show. I think it's going to be important to not go 0-3 in these three marquee non-conference games. You didn't go 0-3. You won in the Jimmy V Classic on ESPN, 98-89, massive win. Two guys that showed out. You had opportunities to win each of the other two games, but those two teams are also going to compete for a Final Four. Marquette and Tennessee are going to compete to go to a Final Four. You lose those two games, you're fine. You've taken care of business in all these other games. You enter Big Ten play 1-0 against Rutgers. I think there's a lot of optimism about where Illinois is at right now, and that's how I'm choosing to view it. Um, and, uh, and I think we're on the same page there. But uh, that'll wrap things up for us on this loaded episode coming off a massive Illinois basketball week. Be sure to drop a follow on our Twitter account, at Champagne on Ice. We post during pretty much every game there and kind of live tweet those games, share some thoughts, ask some questions to people. Obviously, we also post each new episode when it goes live on Twitter. So make sure to drop a follow there and subscribe to the Field of 68 Podcast Network YouTube channel uh, as well so you don't miss an episode of our show and also all the other team pods on the network. Uh, and uh, and that should wrap us up for this week. We'll see you next Sunday. No games. We'll, uh, Illinois takes on Colgate at 12 o'clock, so we'll have that game to react to next Sunday, but really we'll be previewing a rivalry game against kind of the uh, the kryptonite of this Illinois program here in the Brad Underwood era, the Missouri Tigers, uh, next week. So uh, be sure to tune in next week. Thanks for listening here this week, and hope everybody has a great rest of their week, and we'll see you next time on the Champagne on Ice podcast.